Welcome to the Ark Stories Podcast. Ark Stories are true, personal, and told in person at Ark Stories events by the people who live them. Our podcast brings recordings of these stories straight to you for your listening enjoyment. I am your host, story coach, Chris Kinsley. Today we have two stories from our most recent event where the theme was Boo! Stories to keep you up at night. However, these stories are just as funny as they are scary. Our first one, though, actually brings our teller face-to-face with death under his house. Here's storyteller Matt Lane. A few years ago, I moved into a a new house, sort of a, a new old house. It was built in 1902 over in Irondale. It's right by the railroad tracks. It's a really, really sweet place. Uh, It's got old wood, high ceilings. And I was getting acclimated to it. It was was taking me a little while to get used to the the trains rushing by my my window at 2.30 in the morning with the, the engineers maniacally laying on the horn as they, as they went by. But, but worse than that was when they would stop. So my, my house is like 75 feet maybe from, uh, from the tracks. And, and they stop in the middle of the night. I don't know what they're doing. And they just roll back and forth and back and forth. And those, those steel wheels on those iron tracks, it's like, it's like God is, is up in heaven scratching his fingernails across the great big blackboard in the sky. It's awful. I'm to the point now where I can sleep through it, but good Lord. Um, So I'd been living there a few weeks, getting used to things, and then I noticed the smell. It was not a pleasant smell. In fact, it's the most unpleasant of all smells. It was the, the smell of death. Now, I lived in a house several years before that over in Vestavia that was, uh, the attic was infested with wood rats. People say, like, oh, it's just wood rats, or it's just wood roaches, like, like that's supposed to be okay. So, <laughs> I had done battle with wood rats before, and, and I was pretty familiar with the smell of death. You know, I would, I would set traps, and, and sometimes I would hear the traps go off, but there were other times where... There would be a smell, and I knew it was time for me to go up in the attic and and collect a carcass. So I was familiar with this smell, and I figured probably I had a dead rat up in the attic, and so I pulled down the attic stairs, and I went up in the attic and looked around, and before I went up, I grabbed two grocery sacks, and just the little plastic sacks like you get at Publix or Winn-Dixie or Piggly Wiggly, not Aldi. Um... (laughs) And I've got a method from, from years of practice. I, I put one sack on my right hand, and I use it as a glove, and I use the other sack as a sack, and, and I put the little carcass in there, and, and I remove it. So I go up in the attic and look all around, and sure enough, there's, there's a squirrel right by the air conditioning intake. So I get the, get the sack, put it on my hand, Get the other sack, put the little squirrel in the sack, take it out, dispose of the body, 
Problem solved. Only the smell did not go away. The smell got worse. The stench got stinchier and stinchier every day. So I go back up in the attic, and I'm looking all around, and I'm looking down. You can see the, uh, the siding of the house between the, the siding and the drywall, and I'm looking down there to make sure there's not anything dead in the walls and can't see anything, and there's nothing up there. There's no dead rat, no dead squirrel, no dead nothing. So I come back downstairs, and I'm wandering around the house trying to figure out what is going on. Finally, I pinpoint the smell in one of the back rooms of the house. And I know it's not coming from above, which leaves nowhere but below. Now below this house, there's a crawl space, and I've not looked in the crawl space at this point. So I know things are about to get a little bit ugly. I put on my overalls. <laughs> and I go looking for a flashlight, and I find a flashlight, but the batteries are dead, and I don't have any batteries. So, I have a brilliant idea. My cell phone has a flashlight app on it. So, I take my cell phone, I take my two grocery sacks, and I go out to the side of the house. Now, the crawl space, the opening is right there, kind of at the front of the house. The smell is way at the back of the house. I get down on my hands and knees, and I pull off this little piece of wood, it's, it's a little wider than my shoulders. And I look in there. I can't see anything. So this is not a crawl on your hands and knees kind of crawl space. This is a drag yourself along on your belly kind of crawl space. So I slide into the darkness, and I get my flashlight app on, and, and so I've got my flashlight in one hand, and I'm kind of dragging myself along under these, these, uh, these pipes and conduits and over all sorts of little things, and we all know what happens when you turn on a bright light in a dark space, so <laughs> there are all these little creepy crawly things, and you know, I mean, they're, they're wood roaches, like that's supposed to be okay. God, I hate those things. They're so big. Um, so, so I'm crawling along and like dragging myself on my belly in this extremely confined space, trying to get like all the way to the back of the house, and the stench is awful, like really, really bad. So I'm kind of trying to take a little breath here and there, hold it for as long as I can, drag myself along, and at this point, the light goes off on my phone. So apparently the app developers of this flashlight app decided that after about a minute's time, the person using the app is going to have seen everything they needed to see. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm on my stomach in this tiny tight place with all these creatures with more than four legs all around me, fumbling around and surrounded by stink. So I get the light back on, and I keep dragging myself along, and I'm kind of waving my hand around in front of me, trying to, to keep these things away from me, and I'm crawling over broken things, and it's really, really hard to drag yourself along on your belly for an extended period of time. But finally, I make it over this, this hillock near the back of the house, and I see the body. It's not a dead rat. 
And I realized at this point that these two crappy grocery sacks that I've brought with me are woefully inadequate because it's a dead possum. It's a really big dead possum. It's a really big dead possum that has been dead for quite some time and it is writhing with maggots. <laughs> so at this point, I've got a choice to make. I can either drag myself all the way back up to the front of the house, go get a bigger sack, or I can try and make do. I try and make do. So I get over to the big rotten dead possum and I put one sack on my hand and I'm trying to hold the other sack open and I'm trying to shove this possum that is falling apart into a way too small grocery sack. And I sort of kind of get it in there and, and so then I'm dragging this rotten dead possum in a sack and pulling myself along with one hand and really like I, I cannot define how awful the smell is. So I'm really just like trying to hold my breath the whole way back out and I'm crawling over broken things and through bugs and all sorts of stuff and, and at this point the flashlight's just back in my pocket and I'm going through darkness and I can, I can see that little rectangle of light and the distance and I'm like sweet Jesus I gotta get there and so I'm dragging and it feels like my lungs are about to explode and finally I'm there and I push my way out of this little rectangle of light and I stumble out into the day like a drunken man just gulping breath after breath and that was the day that a rotten dead possum showed me what it feels like to be reborn. <laughs> Thank y'all very much. Matt Lane is the young adult librarian at Emmett O'Neill Public Library and the MC of Birmingham's Dia de los Muertos, the Day of the Dead celebration, coming up on November 2nd. You can find him on Twitter at Matt Lane. Now, there is a lot of fear in our world today centered around religious fanatics. And in our next story, our teller intentionally infiltrates one such group, though I'm guessing it's not one you're thinking of. Here's storyteller James Minderhout. So it's about 15 years ago, and I, it's a Friday afternoon. And my phone rings, and it's my best friend, and he's calling from Atlanta, Georgia. He's actually living in LaGrange, but he was in Atlanta. And he was on a full music scholarship, and uh, he calls me up, and he says, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm making a set list for our show tonight, because he played drums in the band that we played in. And we had a show that Friday at the Nick in Birmingham. And he said, well, about that. He said, I'm going to be running a little late, because I've got an opportunity. I don't know if I told this to you, but... For my senior thesis, I'm going to go up to Sand Mountain and try to record the snake handlers' music that they have at their services. And uh, I said, no, you didn't tell me that. And um, he said, well, you know, I didn't think it would happen, you know, but, but I got a phone call today, and it's going to happen. And uh, it's the only chance I've got. I've got to go up there. I've got to meet the preacher. And if he likes me, he's going to let me come back and bring my music equipment and record it. And uh, I said, well, you know, if you go up there, you're, you're not going to make it back for the show. 
And he said, well, you could come with me. And uh, he says, as a matter of fact, do you have that tiny video camera that you got last Christmas? And I said, yes. He said, well, bring that. And uh, you can record it, and if the audio is good enough, then I can just use that, and I don't have to go back, and I don't have to impress him, and then it'll be all good. So I said, fine. So two and a half hours later, he shows up at my door with uh, his college roommate, who is an exchange student from Japan, who <laughs> I swear to this day, I've never heard him speak a word of English. He says he does, but his name is Yusuke. And the three of us head up to Sand Mountain, Alabama. And uh, on the way, I learned more about the snake handling religion, which is apparently a sect or a splinter group off of the uh, Pentecostal church. And they base their whole religion off like a single verse in the Bible that says, and he will speak in tongues, and he will drink poison, and he will take up serpents, and he will not be harmed. And while I understand there are a lot of dead bodies in the world with extremely high toxicology reports that would beg to differ, the <laughs> practice still goes on. And it's illegal, and it still goes on. And they take it very seriously. They speak in tongues, and they drink strychnine, which is a highly toxic form of poison, and they take up snakes, which, as you know, is a pretty effective poison delivery system. And um, <laughs> so my friend's basically leading me, you know, to my death or whatever. But so we end up <clears throat> in this parking lot of a food fair an hour and a half later in Sand Mountain, Alabama. I think it's the only store in the place. And we're waiting for this mysterious liaison to show up and take us to this clandestine meeting of this illegal activity. And uh, after being there for about an hour, this uh, complete like mountain man drives up in a rusted out pickup truck and he sticks his head out the door and he says, are you James Taylor? James says, yes I am. He says, follow me. So I look at James and James looks at Yusuke and Yusuke looks at me and we shrug our shoulders and say, well we've driven this far, why not? So we get in our car and we follow this complete stranger in this complete unknown land down these long two-lane highways or roads in uh, Sand Mountain, Alabama. And we're joking to try to make ourselves feel better about how he's going to take us to our deaths and kill us. And As if to prove that, 20 minutes later, he just pulls off the road into an abandoned gas station parking lot. And there's nothing around for miles. And he gets out of his truck and he comes up to our car and he says, fellas, this is as far as I take you. And without further explanation, just gets back in his car and takes off. And I look at James and James looks at Yusuke and he looks at me and pandemonium ensues and I'm arguing and I'm trying to argue the sanity of why we're there and how we need to get back and before anyone can win or lose his argument another rusted out pickup truck pulls up and this time it's sort of a friendlier looking lady and she says hey you James Taylor and he says yes ma'am she said well, follow me honey I'm gonna take you the rest of the way so that you know when somebody calls you honey tensions drop <laughs> so we're like okay whatever you know this is what your kids are doing, by the way, on the nights you forget to ask them, hey, what are you doing tonight? <laughs> so <clears throat> now, we're, now we're no longer on these paved roads, but we are winding our way through these dirt wooded roads in the back hills of the Appalachian foothills, and it's gotten dark, and we're looking out the window, and all we can see are, is just clouds of dust billowing from behind this woman's truck. That's our only way to get where we're going. And finally, you know, it's complete darkness. She pulls into this wooded lot in front of what can only be described as a structure. And what it is is two halves of a trailer that are somehow stitched together on top of cinder blocks, surrounded by jalopies, with uh, a makeshift wooden staircase leading up to it and a door. And we look at her, and she gives us a thumbs up and points to it and waves goodbye. And she's out. So I look at James, and he looks at Yusuke, and he looks at me, and 
We say, well, we left throwing caution to the wind back at the food fair, so let's go. And we get out of the car, and I, there was a cap in the car, so I take that to hide my video camera, and we walk towards the building, and I remember I could see there's a, a window, and there's a really brightly lit room, and there's only like 12 or 15 people in there, and for whatever reason, they've all got their hands on each other's heads. It's this really weird thing that they do, but who am I to judge? So we come in, and we open the door. Of course, we're running late, so when we open the door, it's like this time warp, you know, because everyone turns around and looks at us, and we look like we just teleported in from the future, and Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure Elevator, and James and I are dressed like, you know, rock and roll dudes, and Yusuke looks like he just stepped off a subway in Tokyo, and we're looking back at them, and they look like the entire cast of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, so the fear is mutual, and, uh, but after what seemed like forever, they flashed a toothy, toothless grin at us and turned back around and things picked back up and we snuck in and sat down at the back pew and I want to try to give you all exactly what the room was like. So it's a big, you know, white trailer and with red industrial carpet and there's five pews on each side and they're only about 10 feet wide with an aisle in the middle. And uh, in the back of the room, on either side, hanging from the ceiling, are two wooden crosses with wooden snakes carved around them. And underneath the cross on the right is a drum set, and a big Mama Cass-looking woman sitting behind it, wearing like a one-piece sheet design. <laughs> and on the left, is a, under that cross, is a guy in an aluminum folding chair with a Fender guitar and an amp on the floor, and he looks just like the guy from Deliverance that played the banjo scene. And uh, in the middle is a big wooden podium, on top of which is a gigantic, gigantic Bible. I mean, it's like this thick, open, folded open. And behind that is the preacher. And he looks like he just came from an Elvis impersonating contest. And he's got the full, you know, polyester jacket and elbow patches and bolo tie and greased black hair and aviator mirrored sunglasses. But so the sermon goes like this. This is what I see from this point forward. The preacher would raise his hand with his finger pointed down, and I'm not judging, but it seemed drunken, and he would let it fall anywhere in this big, huge Bible. And then he would read whatever verse his finger landed on and then proceed to like give it some sort of meaning that he just made up on the spot. So it would sound something like this. And Job begot Ezra, who begot Rose, who begot Ruth. Now, what is God trying to say when he says in Job begot? God's trying to say, you got to get out and get what you begot if you're going to get your righteousness. Can I get an amen? And everybody go, amen. And this would go on and on. But the magic was that every time he would say something like, and Job begot, the guitar player would play a little lick. And the drummer would play a little feel. Da, 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 da. And Job I look down at my arms, I've got goosebumps because I'm really starting to get drawn into the energy of this place. And like, I feel this crescendo building up, and people are starting to stand up, and the preacher's getting louder, and the guitarist is getting louder, and the drummer's getting louder, and I can feel it reaching this peak. And right then, these two guys walk in through the door, and they're both carrying these long, flat wooden boxes with holes in it. And you know that's got the snakes in it. 
And they go and they put it up on the stage beside the podium. And they step back. And this woman, who had been sitting over to the right of the room, and she had hair not cut since birth all the way down the floor in this one-piece <laughs> denim sackcloth, she walked over to the podium and she put this plastic cup full of clear liquid on top of the podium in these gauze packets on there. Who knows? And she starts to walk back and then she looks at me and she catches my eyes and I follow her eyes down to my knee. And on my knee was, cleverly hidden, my video camera with the lens looking up through the back of that cap. And then when she looked back up at me, we both realized that that had come undone and that video camera was just sitting on my knee. So she beelined it back to the preacher in the middle of all this and said something in his ear, and he stopped the sermon. And he, those two reflector glasses looked at me. And everybody in the room turned and looked at me. And I looked at James, and he looked at Yusuke, and Yusuke looked at me. And we shared a look that said, it's been nice. But I have a feeling we're about to get dragged out and made to dig our own graves. But in that pin drop silence, that did not happen. Instead, the preacher said, Now if anybody here tonight has any kind of recording device with them whatsoever, I'm going to have to ask that you kindly put it away. Because we've had too much unwanted attention up in these here parts, and we just can't have any more. So I put the video camera on the people's army, covered up with that. And just like that, it was like it never happened. He rallied everybody back up again. Everybody's standing up, whoa, you know, talking in tongues, turning around. He's back in the guitar. Just back up. It's really loud now. And he steps to the side of the podium. He says, I do believe God is saying tonight not to pick up serpents. No, really? I don't really want to see that. But at that moment, this big woman in the front lumbers forward. And when she does, four other men come to join her because they know she's the daring one. And she reaches up and she takes a gauze and she puts it in that liquid and she sticks it in her mouth. And she grits her teeth and looks up at the ceiling and boom, starts coming out of her mouth. And these men are trying to hold her and she's going into convulsions. And I looked at James. <laughs> James looked at Yusuke and Yusuke looked at me. And this time we shared a more rational look, which was... We've pressed our luck as far as we can. Let's get out of here. And we scampered out the door while all that commotion was going on, got in our car, and navigating with sheer adrenaline, somehow found our way back to Birmingham. And we played the show, had a great story. But uh, the takeaway is that the reality that you and I share of what is normal in the world is an illusion based on what goes on in these trailers and backwoods and barns and basements and maybe next door to you. And then if we ever knew at any one time everything that was going on, that would be more horrifying than any horror story I could ever tell you. Thanks. James Minderhout is an artist, musician, and the chief business development officer for Atlanta Pro AV. Find him on Twitter at James Minderhout. Thanks for listening to the Ark Stories podcast. I've been your host, Chris Kinsley, and you can find me on Twitter at Chris Kinsley. This podcast is produced by Taylor Robinson and myself. Francesco D'Andrea composed our theme. Special thanks to Eric Chapman from Symmetric Sound for audio expertise. 
you enjoyed today's stories, we'd love to have you join us for our next event. It's going to be on Friday, November the 13th at the Avon Theater here in Birmingham. The theme will be Down on Your Luck, stories for Friday the 13th. You can get tickets and all the information on our website, arcstories.com. There, you can also listen to other stories. You can stay up to date with everything we have going on. And you can even submit your own story. After all, we are always asking, what's your story?